0: The next couple of Sundays are a bit strange. Um, Since I got here, we've been in a series the whole time. We've never had a kind of a, a Sunday where we didn't have something set up. But these first two Sundays here, I don't have a series for us to do. Uh, so we're going to have two slightly random sermons, but things that I think God has been speaking to me about, and I hope will be therefore helpful for you. Uh, and they're also important things, I think, for setting out some of the things that we want to say are important for us as a church community uh, as we enter into a new calendar year. As someone reminded me this morning, it is not the beginning of the church year. The church year begins in November with Advent. If you're a liturgical person, you'll be fully aware of that. But for all the rest of us normal people, uh, it, begins, it begins today. Uh, or it began last week. Not today. Um, this is just the first Sunday that we have. Timer. So... One of the things that I'm keen for us to think about this year, and it's really a carry-on of the, the theme that we were talking about last year when we were talking about this series of Unforced Rhythms of Grace, what was all of that about? It was about learning to follow Jesus. And as we start a new year, this is often a time when people will make... I don't know, new pledges or they will think they will at least have some sort of introspection about their life and, and what's going on. And it is a bit arbitrary because in some senses the change from December 31st 2019 to January 1st 2020 is just a turning of a page in the calendar, right? It's, not, it's nothing else other than that, it's just dates. But it does provide an opportunity for people to think about what it is that matters to them. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and I, I want us to spend a bit of time today saying, what is it that we're going to be passionate about? What are we going to be giving ourselves to in 2020? And you'll be really unsurprised to hear that I think Jesus is one of the things that should be on your list. Right? That he really matters. And that following him really, really matters. But there is a reasonable question that can be asked when pastors stand up and say things like that. They, 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 and it goes something like this. It's like, I, Glenn, that's fine, but what about my ordinary life? You don't know my, the family issues I have. You don't know the health worries I have. You don't know the problems at my work. You don't know the money issues I've got. Have you seen politics recently? Have you seen the fact that what you want me to put Jesus... Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want us this morning, we're going to read from uh, the book of Luke. And we're going to have a wee read of the calling of the first disciples. And there's so much that we could say about this. <coughs> and I'm going to try in a very short space of time just to say three wee things. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. I, I'm not going to talk about this, but you need to realize just how bold that is, right? Two boats sitting there, just walked up and sat in one of them. Like, wow, who does that? I think the modern equivalent would be a couple of folks sitting there sorting out bits for their cars and a guy just walks up and sits in the back seat and says, Right, on you go then. (laughs) Take me somewhere. That's kind of what's going on here. There's a boldness to Jesus' actions. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who we will later know as Peter, for the avoidance of all uh, doubt. That's who we're talking about here. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down in the boat and taught the people... When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered. And the tone you need to hear here is that Simon is exasperated. He's been out all night fishing. So they'll have started about seven o'clock at night and they've gone right through till this is like <laughs> seven or eight in the morning. And they've come out and they're tired. They've been working hard and they're now, they've washed their nets. He's, As they would have said in Aberdeen, fair puggled, right? He's tired, he's done in, he's got nothing left. And so Jesus said, oh, back out into the deep water. And he goes, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I'll let down the nets. When he'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. It's an astonishing little story that marks out the beginning of Jesus calling people to follow him. It's the very first followers of Jesus. And depending on whether you read it in Matthew or Mark, it comes up slightly different. But the principle's always the same. They left everything and followed him. Just a few verses later, if you skip down to verse chapter five verse twenty seven says uh, so Jesus has been teaching and he forgives and heals the paralyzed man. We all know that story where he pulls this the, the Sunday school one where they rip open someone 's house and tear the roof off it and lower down a guy who 's not what, their friend who 's paralyzed They're, Like again, there's a there's a scandal in these stories, right? I mean something if I started ripping the roof off of your house this week, you might have something to say about it, right? But it's the kind of thing that's going on in these stories. Anyway, after that happens, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Like, man, I wish ministry was that easy, right? walk down the street come follow Jesus and every people would get up and leave everything and follow. it doesn't seem to work that way for me two callings that Jesus makes here and they both simply follow him why does this matter for us am I suggesting you should all give up your jobs and follow Jesus Well, for some of us, that might be the calling. But for most of us, that's not the case. These are stories told because they're exceptions rather than the rule. But they do teach us something profound. And here's the first point I want to make. That as you sit there and I'm saying to you, make following Jesus a key point in 2020. And you're sitting there going, but I've got all these other pressures. I've got all these other challenges. What does it mean to actually follow Jesus, to make Jesus one of the key or the key priority in my life? I want to say that this passage says to us, you really are called to follow. You're not an exception or an outlier, but you are called to follow. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus' first followers were a motley crew. It's important we recognise that. Jesus didn't go round and pick the best and the brightest. See, that's how people normally go. If you, if you go, and uh, I've done lots of reading around church planting and that kind of thing, and they say the most important thing when you're getting your team together for your church planting... Uh, organization is that you get the best and the brightest the smartest the best the best worship leaders and the best preachers and the best people who can welcome at the door and all the best arty people and do all get the best people and suck them out and take them into your wee thing and go and start a new church and that's a good plan if you want to plant a church the only problem is Jesus seems not to have done that he, he, he went and found a ragtag bunch of folk. So the first people he called, we saw the fishermen, right? So fishermen, were, they weren't despised, but they, they weren't thought of terribly highly, right? They, they, were, they were business people, so they, they had to be able to run a business. They had to understand that they, it was going to cost them something to go and fish, and they had to mend their nets and look after that sort of stuff. And, but they also had to then sell their fish. and So they, had, they, they ran a business. They were business people. There were also people who worked with their hands. They mended their own nets. They fixed their own boats. They looked after all that sort of stuff. And if we just stopped there, we'd think, oh, well, really, this is a bit of a middle-class exercise, right? It's just for those people who are thought of, you know, they might be a bit side, but they're business people. They, They run their thing. But actually, the next person we see him calling is Levi. Now, Levi is about as big an outsider as it's imaginable to get in the Jewish community in the first century. We have to remember, Israel is under occupation. It's been, it's, it's been taken over by the Roman Empire. It belongs to the Roman Empire. And Rome only takes over places for one reason. It's because they want money to send back to Rome and so what they do is that rather than having to send lots of Romans out to this horrible little place called Palestine they don't want to do that so instead what they do is that they get some of those people who already live there to become their tax collectors but it's not like today where we say well I'll, I'll give you a job you collect my tax and I'll pay you a salary it didn't work like that they just said I need you to get x pounds well they weren't called pounds then but you'll go with it I need you to get X number of pounds from this group of people and anything you get above that you can keep so the tax collectors weren't like the people who lovely people who work for HMRC now people pay your taxes, be good don't be like Amazon Um, what you're supposed to do Is uh, what they would do is they'd come out and they'd say to you right you owe 50 pounds Lewis but actually Lewis only owes 20 pounds the reality is I'm just scalping the other 30 quid for myself but if he doesn't pay then I get the Roman emperors the the Roman uh, soldiers to come to Lewis and say you're not paying your taxes and they'll chop his head off so I'm not a very nice person because not only am I taking all your money but the thing you have to remember is I'm one of you I'm a Jewish person who's been turned against you for the sake of the fact that I can get rich and so this is the guy that's sitting at the side of the road, Levi sitting there taking money off people all the time and it's interesting, Jesus just says follow me and those words, if we had time have so so much depth to them because in that culture, to invite someone to follow you as a rabbi was to say, come and I'll give you a place to belong. Come and I will make you, I will feed you. I will give you a place where you are known. A place where you have hope, where you have a future. Where you can learn. Where you can become like me. That's the, that, all of that is packed into this idea of follow me. And Matthew says, that's a better bet than what I'm doing. So we have a fisherman, a businessman, we have, uh, we have uh, a tax collector. But if we go through the whole list of the tw- just the 12 apostles, and I, I, we need to remember this, that we often refer to the 12 as the disciples. Right? That's true, they were disciples. But the 12 weren't the only disciples. We know there were at least 72 and probably hundreds following Jesus, even quite early in his ministry. But these 12 that we know more about, another one was a guy called Simon the Zealot. A zealot at that time was a freedom fighter. We might call him a terrorist. But he was so determined to get rid of the Romans that he was willing to take up arms and fight against them. Why does that matter? Well, because Jesus decides in his little ragtag bag that not only is he going to have these little businessmen fishermen and this little tax collector guy, he's going to have Simon the Zealot. And Simon the Zealot's going to have to spend an awful lot of time with Matthew the tax collector. Oh, that's a problem. Because they're not going to get on. Jesus, you've got, you made a mistake here. You should go back to this best and brightest plan. I'm telling you, it's better than this one. But this was the plan that he had. We have Judas, who is known as a thief, probably even before he betrayed Jesus. After the original twelve, we get Paul, who we know a whole lot about, who's called to follow Jesus and be one of his disciples. He was a religious and political uh, professional. But we also know some of the other people who came to follow Jesus. Lepers, demoniacs. Blind folks, to be blind was to be properly on the outside. You you had been judged terribly by God to be blind. So when Jesus heals people who, who are blind, he's doing a lot more than just the amazing thing of letting someone see. He's welcoming them back into a whole sense of community. He had women of means following him. It's pretty clear that women paid for a lot of Jesus' ministry. He also had women of, shall we say, ill repute following him. These are the kinds of people. Now somewhere in that spectrum between, let's say maybe Paul on the one hand, who had this really highfalutin position of power, who had been mentored by a guy called Gamaliel, who was really highly thought of. Paul was a big deal. So we've got him over here, and we maybe have a woman who's a prostitute over here. Can you find yourself somewhere in the middle of that? I'm kind of hoping more towards the middle than that end. But we'll, wherever. Wherever. Anywhere. And I mean that in terms of how you understand yourself to function in the world. How you think of yourself. How worthy you think you are. All of them received the same call from Jesus. Come to me, follow me. And they had to learn what it meant to be a follower. From all sorts of different parts of society they came. With all the different challenges that that meant. Of them having to work together. And Jesus said, follow me. And I don't know if you noticed, but in both the, Matthew, the calling of Levi and the calling of Peter and the others, it says the same thing. They left everything and followed him. He left everything and followed him. That suddenly Jesus became number one and everything else paled into insignificance by comparison to it. Now hear me, I am not telling you to abandon your jobs and all that kind of stuff because as I will hopefully show in a moment or two, where we've been put is often one of the major places Jesus wants us to be. But we'll get to that. Um, But it's this heart that says, actually, Jesus is number one. That all the other things are ordered underneath that. Now, those are super easy words to speak. And if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know fine well that actually putting that into practice is really difficult. So don't go leaving here today thinking, I have to change absolutely everything tomorrow. How about you change one thing next week? Just shuggle the list about a wee bit and get Jesus higher to the top. We're going to do a little exercise when we take communion with our fishing net, just in case you were wondering what this was doing here. We'll come to that. But the point of it will be, Can we make a commitment? Can we tie ourselves to Jesus? But we don't just follow a philosophical idea. I don't know how many... Who follows the news? Does anybody like watching the news or reading the news? We've got Willie. And of course. So if I say a philosophical belief system, does that mean anything to you this week? Hey, there we go, boom, somebody's been paying attention. So this week in a court, in a tribunal, uh, it's important to realise it's a tribunal because this is going to get appealed all the way up uh, until uh, they run out of courts to appeal it to. But uh, a tribunal decided this week that veganism is a philosophical belief system and therefore is entitled to protection under the law. The possible implications of that are absolutely hysterical, uh, as if, you, if you're interested in them. It might mean the Bank of England have to stop using banknotes because banknotes actually contain animal products. Uh, and uh, it might mean that in order to reasonably accommodate a vegan in your workplace, you'd have to get rid of any leather chairs that you owned, things like that. It could be, it could be really fun to see how that all goes. But anyway, that's just my little legal brain going, this could be fun to see what happens here. But here's the thing. We don't have a philosophical belief system. We follow a person. This matters, okay? This isn't an idea or a belief system that a bunch of people came up with. This is a person who actually really lived. 2,000 years ago, there was a guy walking around what we now know as Israel... Some of Israel, some of Palestine. But walking around that area, teaching, healing people. It's super well attested to. I would bet my life on the reality of an actual historical Jesus. Right? Easy to prove that. There was an actual guy walking around. That's who we are worshipping. Now people will go, that's nuts. Well it is until you realise he died and rose again. And in that now we've got something else happening. I'm not asking you to reorder your life around a philosophical belief system. I'm asking you to reorder your life around a person. The person of Jesus. And he didn't just die and rise again 2,000 years ago and then he's gone and had a wee kip for a couple of thousand years. He's actually involved today. The church believes he is present here with us one of the things about communion now we don't believe that anything actually happens to the bread and the wine okay just for the avoidance of doubt and offending anyone the bread doesn't become Jesus body the blood doesn't the, the juice doesn't become Jesus blood right but the church has always believed that God is somehow mysteriously wonderfully Jesus is somehow present with us as we take communion I think that's actually too limiting a theology. Because I want to say every time we gather, Jesus is wonderfully, mysteriously present with us. As Jesus says, "Where two or three gather in my name, there I am. Also, that that is a reality. That this person hasn't gone away and floated off into the clouds and is now not with us. But in actual fact, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he is in us and among us. And we should expect him to show up. Sometimes in simple ways. Normal ways. Well, as normal as something like communion can ever be. But I expect him to show up in mysterious ways. You know, I, I've been reading this past year just a few biographies. And it's really interesting. Everybody that has, uh, most of them people of faith. Uh, but they're fascinating because you actually see that God shows up in the most remarkable ways in people's lives. And my question is, are we attentive to that? To the, to the prophetic word that's spoken to us, or so do we just begin to shut off? There's a, a book here that I'm going to recommend in a moment. This one called uh, "Jesus is Better Than You Imagine" worth a read. But there's a funny Jonathan Merritt is from a Southern Baptist background. He's a quite a traditional sort of uh, you know prim and proper sort of guy, and he, he ends up at this meeting with these two African ladies. And as he describes it, they're they're from a church where the pastor's probably called an apostle, and the, there's all sorts of other weird. Things going on and anyway he comes to the end of the, the meeting and they say could we pray for you brother and because he's a southern baptist he's just too polite to say anything other than yes so he sits down and these ladies pray for him and he says nothing special happened he um he just he sat there thinking about his shopping list for the next day and uh, he's wondering what the weather was going to be like and and that was fine anyway the lady says to him i'll email you over uh, what we 've just prayed and for you, and he 's like oh that 's great, so he was traveling back to wherever he was going. He gets on the plane, and he thinks that was just a very weird experience, like just strange, strange thing. anyway, he opens up his laptop and ping up comes this email from the lady who'd prayed for him and a uh, He starts. So she'd sent a recording of all that they'd said. And she said, so you can listen to this, but I want to point out this one thing. And she starts, she writes down a paragraph of something that they'd said. And he hadn't heard it while they were sitting praying for him. Uh, But it is on the the recording. And it blew his mind. And he spent the next two hours on the plane bawling, just crying. Because the beauty of Jesus showing up in a place that he did not expect. Can we each this year be attentive to where this Jesus that we say we're following shows up in surprising places, in surprising ways? Wouldn't it be lovely if at the end of the year we all had a big long list of Jesus spoke to me here and and I had this crazy experience where life changing stuff that happens. And here's the fun part. We sometimes get to be the two ladies that say, could I pray for you? And we can be the conduit of that slightly crazy moment where Jesus wants to show up and be there for people. Could we be that? Because that's the thing. We're not following a philosophical belief system. We're following a person who's alive and at work today. These are the two books. If you're interested and thinking a bit more about this person of Jesus, I have two books to recommend to you. This one, Jesus is Better Than You Imagined. You can borrow this one. I, I now write them down so I know where to chase you and send the boys if you don't return them. Uh, it's a really good book. It's, it's super easy to read. Uh, it, it's got great big words in it, so it's simple and straightforward. And But it's thoughtful. It's, it's one guy's journey... becoming more convinced of how lovely Jesus is Uh, and he's a smart guy he's a very good writer so I would recommend that one and then this book here is a bit more work but if you're interested in thinking about what's often referred to as the historical Jesus who was this Jesus who lived um, this is a spectacularly good book Uh, written by a guy called Mike McClymond, who is a believer, which in that context is really important because there's loads of unbelievers writing a lot of rubbish. Um, But this book is brilliant. It's called Familiar Stranger. really easy read in this context and uh, well worth reading. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, come and see me and I can loan this one to you as well. and if you really like it, you can buy your own one. The only problem with borrowing my books is you have to put up with my writing in the, in the, in, in the margins and in the, in the pages. I, there's nothing holy about these kind of books, so I write all over them. So if you borrow them, feel free to write your own notes. and Then we can have a bit of a giggle later looking at what we wrote. But um, there we go. So, not a philosophical belief per- system, a person. Final point. We're called to follow, we're following a person, and we're supposed to do it with purpose and passion. Jesus didn't just say, follow me, and assume that they would have then some sense of, oh, this is what the goal or the purpose is. He told them. He said, I will make you fishers of people. Most of us will know that as the old-fashioned way of saying as fishers of men, but thankfully God's interested in just more than men. So um, we'll call it fishers of people. seems unlikely right when when peter's in his boat and jesus says i'll make you a fisher of people i mean it it wouldn't be unreasonable to say you know fish for people that's a kind of ludicrous state what what do you mean but you have to remember the context of that is that it's in the immediate aftermath of this miraculous haul of fish Peter the fisherman, the guy who was the professional fisherman, who knew how to fish, who'd been fishing in on this same lake for years. The one who'd been out last night using everything that they knew to figure out where the fish were. And they'd fished a whole night with nothing. And then in the morning, Jesus says, put your nets down. And Peter would have been well in his rights to go look. I know what I'm talking about here you're a carpenter I'm a fisherman I understand how this works we don't fish in the morning because the fish are all down deep on the bottom it's a waste of time but somehow Peter saw that Jesus was about something more and he put his nets down and up comes this incredible haul of fish and on the back of that, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a purpose beyond just fishing these seas. Because, hey, with me, that stuff's easy. I've got something else for you to do. This is, if you like, the go part of it all. See, Jesus, and we're, we're going to talk loads about this this year again. This sense of come to me and you will find rest. These unforced rhythms of grace. But they have purpose beyond ourselves. That we are to be fishers of people. That sharing this good news that I presume you believe, because otherwise I don't know what you're doing here on a Sunday morning. We, We had a Sunday off church last week. It was, I think it was the third one this year we'd had where we didn't do anything and we were staying with friends who don't go to church and so we didn't go to church and we went for a walk along the beach in Aberdeen where we were staying and we're walking along the beach having our face torn off by the North Sea wind and, uh, and I said, Yeah, this is what ordinary people do on a Sunday morning it was lovely so here's the thing if you don't think that following Jesus is worthwhile there's loads of better things to be doing than being here But I promise you the best thing is here. Following Jesus, being here with others who want to follow Jesus. This is the best thing and it has purpose. Because this good news that is life to us can be life to others. We saw it this year with Maria. Maria this time last year had only been in our church one time. And then in the middle of the year she gave her life to Jesus. And then towards the end of the year she got baptised. That's awesome, but we need more. <laughs> Is anyone convinced of that? Like, if it's good news to me, it has to be good news to our friends and neighbours, right? I mean, I'm not asking you to go out and yell about it on the street corner. In fact, please don't, because that puts people off. But don't be afraid to share this good thing that you have. What is it that brings you life? What is it that brings you peace? What is it that brings you hope? What is it that brings you joy? Well, there's this guy, Jesus. Lived a long time ago, but I think he's still about. And that goes to the final thing I want to say. We should be passionate about this. This shouldn't just be something where we go, Ah, oh, well, you know. We should be passionate about it. If we're going to make Jesus number one, that passion matters. And the truth is, particularly in the UK, we have normalized apathy. It's normal to be apathetic about such stuff passion is seen if we're passionate about particularly about faith issues it's seen as something weird but there are other things that people are perfectly cool with being passionate about so let me read you this little bit from uh, this book by a guy called uh, john tyson he says uh, passion always critiques complacency that's his point that he's been making and he says Binge watching an entire season of a TV show on Netflix, absolutely normal. I know there will be some of us in this room who have done that and who do that and who enjoy that. I may be one of them. Spending $4,000 on a trip to America, completely normal. Training hours a week to maintain our looks, normal. This one might not translate. He's writing. He's an American who's writing. Joining a fantasy sports league and tracking it like a Wall Street trader. If you don't understand what that is, just ignore it. Basically, it takes up loads of your time. Completely normal. Devoting your life to serving Jesus, extreme, probably deeply unhealthy. That's how people think of it, right? It's, it's perfectly all right to spend like days watching Netflix. You know, to to have thirty, forty hours a week in the gym. I, I don't go to the gym. I know you'll be surprised by that statement. Karen goes to the gym. Karen told me a story once about someone who goes to her gym. Karen sees her in the morning at ungodly o'clock. I don't know what is it like. Six o'clock. Uh, at six o'clock in the morning, this lady's in there. She's in before Karen. She leaves after Karen, and then she goes to work. But Karen subsequently found out that lady goes to work and then goes back to the gym again in the evening, six days a week. That's healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's mental, but it's healthy, and in our work, you know, it's up there with binge watching Netflix, following Jesus with a passion. You got to be nuts to do that, though, eh? Passion matters. It really does matter that we're passionate about this stuff. And yes, people will think you're a bit weird. Because you will view the world differently. And that's going to be ever more true in 2020. You know, whether it's because we have to say that we really don't think veganism is the same as Islam or Christianity or any other religion. Or it's because we're going to get into conversations about transgenderism. Or the way that we understand humanity to be, or any of those kind of really complex, in-your-face things that we're going to have to face up to, that we might have a different worldview on. You go, oh, you're nuts. Like, yeah, maybe. But no more nuts than you're binge-watching Netflix. And actually, mine has a purpose. And a purpose far beyond ourselves. A purpose following a man who came and changed the world. As one commentator said, we will now find our fundamental sense of belonging and being in relationship to Jesus in the community built around him and in the redemptive purpose he serves. That is what it is to make Jesus number one, to be a follower of Jesus this year. Is that we will find our fundamental sense of belonging and being in relationship to him and in the community built around him. And in the redemptive purposes he served. We have passion, purpose. We follow a person who has called us. No matter who we are, from what background, what age, what stage of life. We are all called to follow him.